There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Hello and welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 45. So, really quickly, I'll be performing stand-up comedy at the Addison Improv in Addison, Texas, just outside of Dallas. Thursday through Saturday, November 18 through 20. That is all. And now for the podcast. Episode number 45, with Mr. Kevin Pollack. I thank you. Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast. I am Chris Hardwick. Sitting to my left is Matthew Myra. Jonah Ray is out working on a television program and couldn't be here today. We are at the lovely chateau of Mr. Kevin Pollack. Hello. It's a compound. It's a compound. It is It is. It is uh, the, the Kevin Pollack compound. And, and just a little backstory before we uh, before we delve into the, the action here. Kevin Pollack was actually podcasted here a couple weeks ago. What you're saying? I didn't hear that. No, and you never will. <laughs> Why is that? Well, Kevin, you were nice enough to come to Comcast a couple weeks ago and donate uh, a couple hours of your time. I'll say. I lost <laughs> the Zoom H4N recorder mm-hmm. that day, yeah. and so I so when you showed up, it was like a last minute thing. Like, well, I can't find the recorder. I don't know what to do. I know what we'll do. We'll I've been recording sets on my iPhone voice memo thing. Let's just do it on that. How bad could it be? The answer is horrible. Yeah. Uh, I had propped the phone up against a telephone system. Yes, and you so did. there was there was a, a little bit of electrical interference uh, throughout yeah. most of the podcast. A wee bit? Just a touch. Uh-huh. And not only that, but the, comp- the it was a day of blunders on yes, my part. Yes, it really was. I, I didn't want to say anything. I know. I, I, let's air this chapter. out. Let's air this out. So we're going to air this out. We're, we're in a conference room. Some people from uh, a program called E! True Hollywood Stories decided to lay claim to the conference room. And they had for four years. They had. Well, at first it was, it was this has been our conference room for four years. And we were like, really? And they go, well, no, actually, it's more like two. So right off the bat, they were exaggerating their argument to try to establish superiority. Sure. Impressively so. Impressively so. Yeah. So I dropped your name, which sure. worked very well. I said, oh, well, I'm interviewing Kevin Pollack in here, and we reserved this room. And Kevin like graciously parted he the walked up. Yes. <laughs> and they scattered like cockroaches. Now... 
What I found out later was that they were in fact wrong in the Comcast building. I thought you were going to say what I found out later was they were in fact cockroaches. No. <laughs> there was uh, the metamorphosis. Yeah. Gregor Samso woke to find himself in the form of a hideous vermin. Oh. And then he worked for each of Hollywood story. stories. But, mm-hmm. he, uh, but yeah, every four months you're supposed to renew your claim on a conference room. I think to, everyone knows that. Yes, and they did Correct. not. So they were wrong. Yes. We were right. And it didn't matter. It was all a waste of time because the podcast was unusable. So I, I, I had to make the sheepish phone call to Kevin Apollock, Matthew Myra, yes. and uh, I said, Kevin, I'm really sorry. I There was a problem, as you can guess. Please, we please come on the podcast again. You were like, yes. I mean, like you were so nice about it right away. And thank you. Oh, please. It was a chance to show off my new house. <laughs> Which is gorgeous, by the way. We just moved in literally within days. Boxes are just broken down and, and piled. It took... Uh, I was kind of surprised because when you fill 30 boxes mm-hmm. and you move them in, you think, well, these will never get unpacked. Right. Ever. Yeah. And they're in every room. Uh, and I, I just want to pat uh, Milady on the back uh, for doing a phenomenal job in three days of getting the hell out of the boxes. There I would is, not know you moved in three days ago. I yeah. wouldn't either. And, and by the way, we're in your dining room right now, and there is, let me just give you a... Grand dining room. Let me give you a little bit of a tour of what's in this room. On one side, there is a Haunted Mansion scotch set. Sure. Which is awesome. It's got the Haunted Mansion on it, and it's got, like, each of the glasses have different ghouls, uh-huh. like 60s-style ghouls. Better believe it. There's some type of... Uh, Bottle from the sixties. A bottle from the sixties in the in the shape of a fancy fox with a top hat. Well he's obviously just gone hunting. Listen, the only for his own kind, because he's a cannibal. Sure. Or he's sold out. He's a bitch sellout. He's the Uncle Tom of foxes. Mm. I, I would only say that he would only be fancier if he were using his own tail as a stole. But he's not. <laughs> Then over here, you have what looks like something from the set of Boardwalk Empire, uh-huh. which is awesome. <laughs> Would you like to explain this piece of Oh, it's just a barber chair from the 20s. It's gorgeous. With uh, It's all uh, wood and old metal and uh, the original fabric. and Yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh, I don't know how well it plays in the audio version of my description, but... Uh, in the mind's eye, yeah. it's gorgeous. And what else would you do with a barber's chair but you, to yes. put a skeleton sitting in it? Now I noticed because there's also there's also a, 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 oh, yeah. an anatomy poster over there of a skeleton. Uh-huh. Um, do you are you a skeleton fetishist of some my, sort? My uh, my sweet better half loves the morbid. That's fantastic. Yeah, and I have uh, easily said, "Hey, that looks cool." You've, you've got to hang on to a lady when when <laughs> she's with, with the when the morbid sign. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. There she is now. Hey, we're talking about your awesome uh, skeleton. He was just going through the uh, the. The Haunted Mansion Scotch set. I got the stretching gallery paintings. I just got them yesterday and I took them to the framework and they're going in that hallway. Oh, I told them. You actually have the stretchy paintings from the Haunted Mansion. Yes. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, print. You can buy the prints at Disneyland. But yeah. yeah, I got the prints and I dropped them off at the framework yesterday. I was, well, I shared that with him uh, before we started the podcast and he uh, was kind of the part of that Rob Zombie has won the original. It's got the roller marks on it. <laughs> He's got, got the roller, roller marks on it. But he's only got one, so your four are better than his one. <laughs> and so. ours will be framed and spotlit. That's <laughs> that is, And then as people are walking down the hallway, you're going to have the recording of, is this room actually a <laughs> stretching? Yeah, yeah, I, I should put it on the doorbell. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, well, well done. We are big fans of, of your house and, and what you've done. They're digging the macabre. I'm going to go... Work some more. Yeah, all right. 
Time to move in and get settled. You know what I'm saying? You're going to put headstones in the backyard? Ooh, nice. Huh? I think it's <laughs> a quick yes. I heard a reaction from the other from the other room. Yeah. To find a way out. <laughs> of course, there's always my way. <laughs> Terrifying hanging woman. <laughs> Can you afford to pay the residuals on that? We got oh, it. We got no. it. We actually own it. It's I always love when the lights are when they, when it's still dark and then skeleton in the haunted mansion above the room. There's always like there's always some piece of shit frat guy who has to yell out like, "Oh fuck!" Like just, <laughs> just when there's kids there, just to be a jerk. Yeah. Wait, that might have been me. It's a terror. It's, it's. I think it's. I don't know why that didn't affect me more as a child, but. The what? hanging, the image of the hanging woman, My the way visage out. of the woman just killing herself in front of it's a family. It's interesting that you said woman, because the voiceover clearly states... Is that I thought it was a woman? You could always try my way. Yeah, he does, he does. Yeah, well, but I, I, I'm i fairly certain. Because of the Master long Gracie, hair? Master Gracie, the owner of the house. The what? It's Master Gracie, the owner of the Master Gracie, the owner of the right, house. Fair well enough. done. I always thought it was a woman. <laughs> it could be a woman. What does that say about so it? So the podcast uh, is entertaining and educational. <laughs> it is educational. Right. That's fantastic, because I mean, I have an annual pass to Disneyland, and we, we, like, we go down. Who yeah. doesn't? We can. Well, you I have the annual, but Milady, of course, has the premium. Oh, no blackout dates for her. No blackout dates, and it's like a, it's like the Black American Express card. Oh my god, <laughs> it's crazy. P.S. <laughs> oh no, keep keep going. It oh. has uh, uh, what would you call it? Uh, weight and uh, it, it's like metallic? is it made, is it yeah. made of metal like it's the made black of card? Some other product <laughs> than the ones we have. It's made. It's made of. It's made of the original. It's a small world. Right? And it's also it's a hologram of Walt. He pops up. <laughs> <laughs> if he's just so. He pops up and says, I don't like blacks and Jews. <laughs> but please, enjoy my movie. It's odd that that's all they had in record. I said this on the podcast before, that, that I heard that Walt Disney um, commissioned someone to create his signature. Like, that famous Walt Disney signature was actually commissioned by an artist. Genius. You've um, said that in conversation. I don't know if you said it on the podcast. Yeah, that's, that, was, that was a story that I heard once. Right on. Um, also, P.S., uh, how do I get a fucking Black American Express card? I know there are real problems going on in the world, Kevin Pollack. There's famine <laughs> and hunger. You and have to, yeah, I think you have to spend on average $100,000 a year with the card. But even so, like... Yeah, like, and then there's a premium, which is not the crazy $25,000 premium everyone says it is. It's like... Oh, it's not that bad. No, it's like $2,500 or $5,000. I want that sweet Black American Express card. If you're listening on You Work for American Express, give him a black card for no reason that I can think of. Let's talk what about... What would be the first thing... Who, it's made of metal, though. Who I mean, would on. you technically impress? <laughs> I would take it to McDonald's. Sales clerks. Bingo. I would take no, it to like, This ain't a real card. Yeah. We have a winner. I would wear it. I would wear it on a chain mm-hmm. around my neck. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I went out to lunch with Corolla once, and he threw one of those things down. I was like, "What's that?" Nah, I don't know. Kim will hook me up with it. I'm like, all right, all right, come on. What are you holding that for? With a good Corolla. Apparently, you need to talk to Kim. We think we need to talk to Kim. Yeah, clearly, um, I, uh, I, I, you know, before we get into the Kevin Pollockness of the podcast, I would first like to state that there has been a small podcast tragedy, a yes, crime yeah. against the nerdist, a crime against the nerdist. In that, uh, you think you were targeted? I, I, think, I feel like might we might have been a rival podcast. Maybe we were, tar- maybe we were targeted by, uh, by, uh, by uh, uh, running your trap or uh, Jimmy Pardo. <laughs> Bell Nap. Yeah, Bell Nap. <laughs> Um, but, 
Last week I gave Matthew the suitcase that had all of the podcasting equipment. On Wednesday. The suitcase. Shouldn't you call it the football at this point? <laughs> at this point, yes. At this point, yes, because who knows what I was entrusted with the uh, I get a, I get a, I get a call the next morning. Matthew's sheepish call. Uh, it's all gone. What? All the podcasting equipment's gone. Someone broke into my car. And Chris was, he was literally, you were literally, the first call I made was to you. <laughs> not, not to the insurance? Nope. You don't think that'll look suspicious to the cops? Because I felt like... <laughs> says there, you when they go over your phone records after a car... A friend and a benefactor uh, first. That's right. Um, yeah, so someone broke into Matthew's, caught his Honda, and rifled through the suitcase. Civic hybrid, everybody. It's not or like a Honda. He sees they rifled through. Just, <laughs> they just basically took the... They left all the cords and the pee poppers they left and the, the cords stands. And the they took uh, the, the microphones, the mixer board, three pairs of jeans from Big and Tall that were too big for me. <laughs> Uh, that I was going to return. So I don't know what they're going to do with that. Perhaps build a tent city. Well, those big and tall jeans, are worth, the board didn't work. Two of the microphones yeah. were broken. So you, fuck you guys. You took a lot of broken equipment, you fucking And losers. my jeans. Now I'm wearing, sh- I'm wearing shorts, guys. And I'm going back to Massachusetts for like a weekend and now I'm going to wear shorts. Here's the sad part. <laughs> Matthew, they broke his ignition lock they trying broke, to... Yeah. to they, s- to steal the car. That's always the worst Stuck part. a screwdriver in there. And Matthew's driveway is very narrow to get back behind his apartment building, oh, and no. the wheels were turned a little bit. Oh, no. Yeah, they were locked. So the tow truck driver came, and uh, it's just he and I trying to get this thing out. You had to put it driveway. on a flatbed? We had to put it on uh, these little coasters to get it out of the driveway, because you could not get a tow truck back there. The Haunted Mansion coasters? The Haunted Mansion coasters. <laughs> uh, set of five. And I don't know what the fifth one was for, but <laughs> we put them on. The and he's telling me to push, so to angle the car out of the driveway. It's very tight, and uh, I'm pushing. Mm-hmm. Don't know my own strength. And much like Edward in Twilight, I pushed into my quarter panel on the front dented it I'll say and then the uh, if you ever say much like Edward in Twilight again you will never be allowed well, to on this podcast <laughs> just wait uh, <laughs> then the tow truck driver's like oh don't worry they fix they fix <laughs> goes to open my door and it's not opening because the quarter panel's now dented and he just rips it and it makes it far worse than it was and now I have to file a separate claim and pay a separate deductible to get that fixed. Yeah, nice job, Progressive Insurance. That's not. I'm going to tell Stephanie Courtney to put that in the commercials. Yeah, Flo, come Flo. on. They're making him file a separate claim for the damage to try to for, for to, from towing his car. He has to pay another deductible. I have oh to pay God. another. Yeah, and when he tried to get the hooks underneath the car, the front end started to come off. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, I get to pay another deductible. Meanwhile, are you mic'd by a love? I'm mic'd by this. this thing. Look at that. I got two microphones. Deal with that. All right. <laughs> so now your car looks like it was act yeah, two of horrible. the accused. It's horrible. I drove by it last night to see if they'd done anything with it. It hasn't moved. <laughs> Is it totaled? No, it can't be totaled. It's just it's front end damage, a you quarter panel. To be totaled. I would love it if they were successful in stealing my vehicle at yeah. this point. Right. See, that's the yeah. problem. Is it? Yeah. Why half-ass it? Why not take it? <laughs> if you're going to put a bomb in your shoe, don't you know? go in the toilet and you're gonna break it. Don't my, try to light it at your seat. <laughs> you're you're going to break my a, a comedy death ray radio and be like, Hey, Scott Ackerman, where'd you get those jeans and those fancy mics? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, just, why, are there, why are there four of you in those Bottom jeans? Bottom on the Prove market. It. <laughs> so uh, let's let's shift some focus back to, uh, to our archive no, no, guests. That's why you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> if you have any information, please that, email stuff at Nerdist.com. Um, so Kevin Pollock, <laughs> my fucking car. Uh, Kevin Pollock, I I have uh, a long time been a fan of yours because you, when I originally um, saw a few good men, it occurred to me like, 
Oh, as a comedian, hmm. you can also do roles where you're not, you don't have to be a funny person. Like, you can, you can do serious roles. Like, for some reason in my mind, I hadn't, I hadn't put those two things together yet because I was still like, comedy, comedians do comedy roles. Yeah. And so, what was the, what was the process like for that movie? Did they, were they a fan of your comedy? Did you audition for it? Uh, I also had that moment early on when I was a stand-up in San Francisco and Paul Reiser was in the Barry Levinson movie Diner. Yes. And the same thing happened for me. It was like, oh, right, of course. Uh, he's similar in age and it, it, it was, he was hilarious in the film, but he was real and it was uh, a dramedy, as it were. So I can appreciate from uh, whence you came. Uh, in my uh, situation with The Few Good Men, I was doing a six-week, six-episode summer series back when there was no um, real original programming during the summer. <laughs> uh, 1991, I'll have you know. For Rob Reiner and Christopher Guest. There I said it, them, them. And uh, they had created this really funny thing. It was a 19... Uh, the show was... Um, it was really kind of a hybrid weird thing, and, and on CBS Why, uh, but <laughs> the CBS Youth. It was CBS. called uh, uh, Morton and Hayes, and at the beginning of the show, Rob Reiner appears sitting in a, a den, talking to camera. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Rob Reiner. Uh, you may know me from uh, uh, All in the Family or, or directing motion pictures, but what you may not know is that I've always been a fan of the comedy teams of the 20s and 30s. Abbott Costello, Laurel and Hardy, and the great Chick Morton and Eddie Hayes. Recently, while construction workers were tearing down a foster freeze to make room for a Dairy Queen, or vice versa, they uncovered a vault filled with old two-reelers of the great Morton and Hayes. We've dusted them off and we'll present one to you each week. And then he leans over to a projector and says, Enjoy this week's two-reeler, Saps at Sea. And he hits a switch, and the light from the projector fills the screen, and then a black-and-white two-reeler unfolds, as if shot in the 30s with me and this uh, heavyset guy, great actor Bob Amaral, as Chick Morton and Eddie Hayes. And I'm a little wisecracking Chick Morton. What's the matter with you, Eddie? You know, that guy. Yeah. So while we're shooting that, and like I said, Chris Guest was behind the creation, and Michael McKean did a bunch, and Chris Guest directed some, and... It was ridiculously great and a crazy audition process to get that part. But while we're shooting that, I'm having lunch every day with Rob. And one day, he uh, waves his uh, stubby finger in my face and says, uh, albeit quite talented stubby finger, <laughs> and says, you know, I uh, <clears throat> am directing my this next movie. It was a Broadway play called The Fugued Man. And I got Tom Cruise, and I think we're going to get Nicholson to play The Crazy Colonel. And uh, anyways, there's this part of Tom's co-counsel that you're kind of perfect for. I've got an offer out to Jason Alexander, but if Seinfeld gets picked up for a second season, he won't be available. And I instantly started praying for Seinfeld's success. <laughs> I had uh, Jason Alexander. They almost didn't, by the way. The first season of Seinfeld, dude. I don't know if people remember this, it did not go well. I, uh, the Seinfeld Chronicles. I just had Jason Alexander on my uh, uh, Kevin Pollock's chat show mm-hmm. podcast deal. And, uh, a fine, fine check, check your program. Grilled him uh, extensively uh, about it. And the pilot, turns out, was Seinfeld Chronicles. The first season was four episodes called Seinfeld. At that point, they lost the Chronicles, which I didn't remember. Uh. And those four episodes were not on Thursday Night After Cheers. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the second year when they got bumped to Thursday Night After Cheers that they had any sort of... Uh... And by the way, I asked him, well, when you get the news... You know, you're going for a second season, which of course made my career and allowed me to do a few good <laughs> men. But 
for that for the cast, I said, "This must have been amazing news that you're going to follow the best show, the best time slot." And he said, "No, actually, the opposite. We thought that would be the end. Who the hell would watch Cheers and then us? Because mm-hmm. you got to understand, you know, in in terms of adding a little perspective here, the test results were horrible. The network didn't like us. There was one guy in late night who had made the deal with Jerry, and that's the only reason we were there." And, you know, we had no chance. And then to move us to a great time slot like that, the, it's like the lemmings going off the cliff. The, who's gonna, the ratings would have to die, you know. So, anyway. Um, I don't know if I could picture him in your role. Well, you know, he had done Pretty Woman prior. And he had, um, of course, had a huge Broadway career. He, won was, a, so won mean, a Tony he was so mean to that prostitute. Yes, he really was. <laughs> I'm so glad that Richard Unfairly. punched him. Unfairly. He was just not a nice guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that that's how that A Few Good Men came uh, my way. And then, you know, that was really... The rest of the cast were pretty wildly famous, even in smaller roles, uh, Kiefer Sutherland mm-hmm. and, and uh, um, a very young uh, Noah Wiley. Oh, yeah. Uh, had one scene on the stand. And, um, did, you ever see the, did you ever see the Ben Stiller show uh, parody of it, A Few Good Scouts? Oh, of course. Yeah. Where, they, where Andy Dick plays the... Uh, Keeper Sutherland, but he's just speaking like a gibberish, like, he had no cold, but he had no, you're saying Santiago had no cold in a menorah? You're saying he was Jewish? I, just, I don't think so. Like, it was like, he just, he was so mealy mouth. Like, no, that, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so what do you, what, what is that? I mean, like, you're, at this point, how long have you been doing stand up comedy in 91? Uh, I turned pro in maybe 80, mm-hmm. so 11 years. So, are, at that point, are you, is it is it like wow, this might be taking me to the next level, or or is your oh, it was are, the keys to the castle. Okay, so yeah, you yeah, yeah. you weren't you weren't so kind of worn down after eleven years of nonstop stand up that you that you weren't you were no, jaded about it. No, no, oh no, I I was I was, uh, oh god, like a seven year old on Christmas morning every day on the set. I mean, I you could feel what this was. It was mm-hmm. a huge Broadway success. A few good men, gigantic, and. Um, uh, everyone was sort of at the height of their game in terms of the director and the cast and uh, it was a Nicholson I mean in 1991 I guess there hadn't been a lot of movies where you had that many stars all in one film mm-hmm. um, oh mad 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 world other than of course <laughs> that classic which uh, does not hold up <laughs> just in case you're in case you're wondering uh, but for me what you know I was the only discovery actor where the audience was, who, who's this guy? I know everybody else. I've got the, the playbook, or, or you know. So it was really a uh, that moment of that I guess actors, um, uh, the the goal line of you cross this and you get uh, offers instead of having to audition. That all happened within six months. Wow. Yeah. Uh, of of getting the, the you know shooting the movie and then it comes out and then it's just an instant. Huge, huge, huge hit, and it was, you know, it was getting offers all of a sudden, which was uh, weird because I was still a character actor. Nobody was going to plunk down money to this day uh, to see. <laughs> you don't want me number one on your call sheet, uh, but as a character actor, which is all I kind of fantasized about, you know, it was instant nirvana. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh. Uh, so and so call. I want you to be, you know. So, so did it feel? Did it feel like all all the times you know those eleven years and you're doing stand up? You're like, someday, man, 
they're going to be calling me. Like, did it feel that way to you when it was actually happening? Or I only thought of the first potential representative, uh, a manager, not an agent, when I first got to L.A. from San Francisco, who I read for to possibly represent me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'd been in town mm, three, four months. Somebody said, well, you, this woman is a manager, you should... So I go in, uh, to her high-rise on Wilshire uh, apartment, and she had me read a couple of scenes. Afterwards, she said, uh, the, "The, you know, the acting is not for everyone." <laughs> First of all, the acting. The acting, the acting. So you mean in general? You mean yes? It's not a career everyone should pursue, or do you mean me specifically? <laughs> when you say everyone, that's an awful thing to say to someone. Yeah, it really was uh, shattering. So that's all I thought of was that conversation. When A Few Good Men was a hit and I was getting offers. I just thought of her. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, you know what? That was... Um, 91, anyway. That was like seven years after I moved to Los Angeles from San Francisco. And those seven years, she had kind of fueled me. That experience had kind of... Because when I came here, I had no formal training as an actor. I'm not terribly proud of that, but it just happens to be true. And I came from stand-up comedy. And from so many years of being on stage and suffering wildly from Hey, Look at Me disease... Mm-hmm. I was ridiculously comfortable in front of an audience, and it just translated to ridiculously comfortable in front of the camera. And that's all I had and have, is this ease in front of the lens. That's it. That's all I can bring. And then, on A Few Good Men, I got to work with this brilliant character actor, J.T. Walsh. Yes! Oh my god, God. insane. Nutty, 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 brilliant. And he was watching me one day, and he was this great subversive guy, may he rest in peace, and he said to me, you know, what you're doing is... uh, is an actual method of acting. I said, because I had to confess to him that I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And he said, no, it's an actual method, which is less is more. Um, and by doing less, because I just kept underplaying it, so I just make it more real, less anything. And he said, less is more, and then the second half of that is nothing is best. Less is more, nothing is best. If you can actually do nothing in a scene, literally nothing, Trust me, people's eyes will drift to you. What the fuck? That guy's not doing anything? Boy, I wish I know how to do that. I can't, I can't shut my brain off long enough to be like, I am aware of what I am doing and saying these lines. Well, to this day, actually, after the third take, that's what going, is going on in my head. We're doing another one? Really? Sure. All I'm hearing is myself act. <laughs> yeah. uh, JT Walsh was so fucking awesome in the big picture. Oh, shit. Do you like Thimbles, Nick? Like, he... <laughs> yes. He that does. guy... Yes. <laughs> That guy is insane. I mean, yeah. he is—he was so. The grifters, you should. Oh, the grifters! Oh he was—he's so. He was a great grifter who like turned. Like this quiet, magnetic. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Well, nothing is best. Nothing is. And best. And then when he lost his shit, it was so. Uh, anyways, <laughs> so that was the big coming out party for me, and. Um, and How do you navigate that? Also, by the way, it happened at 91, 92, the film came out. Yeah. Which, as you remember, was the death of stand-up comedy. Right around, yeah. the, right around the bursting of the comedy bubble. It was. The golden uh, age of the mid to late 80s uh, had literally met its end as I was getting offers to be in movies. So to drift away from stand-up was... Good timing. ...as organic <laughs> as possible. Yeah. Uh, and I, I stopped touring completely for almost nine years. Uh, and during which time I did uh, uh, a lot of movies. I don't know the exact number. 41. <laughs> Give or take zero. Five of them, by the way, really good. <laughs> so there's what I want to ask you is that when you... Because uh, so much goes... In, you know, like when, 
when people... How do you navigate? How do you navigate? How do you know, like, when everyone's telling you, you're great, yeah. and you lose your sort of barometer for, you know, what what's good and what's not good, and people are offering you more things than you know how to handle, how do you pick the right thing? I mean, do you ever really know, or is it is there's always a little bit of a crapshoot involved? I feel like that... I feel like success is can be just as detrimental theoretically as you know like never succeeding because you know it's just a different it's just a no, different no. strategy With success you have money you do you do you Whereas do have money. no success you do have money you but, steal but just my sitting jeans. on a pile of money won't make you happy for the rest of your life you make it as happy it for turns a while. out it won't uh it it, it um i'll tell you there's no as it turns out there's no correct path mm-hmm. and there's no way to avoid doing what ends up to be bad work mm-hmm. Uh, and by bad work, I mean the product is bad. Well, you just don't know because it it, no. it depends on the director. It actually depends on lighting, cinematography. You don't know how the film's going to be edited. They can make you look anyway. Yeah, the editing is the final rewrite. And performances are made and killed in editing. And I'm not pointing fingers and I'm not placing blame. But I, to this day, uh, with all this inventory, as I like to call it, <laughs> otherwise known as a filmography, um, there isn't one that I read and said yes to that I knew was going to be crap mm-hmm. and just did it for the money. Mm-hmm. There were are several that turned out to be absolute crap. And the script, when I read it, was uh, good. And at what, at well, what? They weren't always great, but they were at least good. Mm-hmm. You know? At what point, when you're making a movie that it turns out to be not great, do you realize that this is not going to be great? Oh, every point. <laughs> I mean, well, you read the script. The script is okay. Is it when you get on set? Yeah, no, it's not the moment you walk on set. <laughs> and you're like, shit. Although gonna, there was one. It's going to be terrible. Juana Man, I will point to <laughs> instantly, just by the title. I'm going to say names, it. but... Uh, yeah, I don't want to point any exact fingers. But there was a situation where I was cast, and they had Will Smith as the as the lead, who uh, ultimately is not, not in yeah. the movie. And so when I walked on the set, it was, oh... I see. We're going uh, with a lesser known of Smith. I need to go out for cigarettes. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> Forever, yeah. So uh, so there was a script that read funny, and then Les Will Smith... Do you want a man read funny? Not as funny. Well, when you picture Will Smith saying those words, guess sure. what? Okay. You know what, though? Honestly, it... Like I've, because I, I see this happen. You know, not funny now. <laughs> obviously, obviously, the turnover rate in television is much higher than than film. But I, I've seen it happen where you read a script that is fucking brilliant that yeah. a network's going to do, and by the time oh all the network people get their hands on it, yeah. and you, you know, you see what started out as, as in a script is a really smart, you know, single camera sitcom turns into a three camera laugh track also, sitcom with yeah, jokes on, on the day. You know, when you're shooting a scene, someone decides... You remember another thing when it was real subtle? And I always point to that great moment in Spinal Tap when one scene they all show up and they have these giant cold sores on different places <laughs> on their mouth, right? But it's never mentioned. Right. It's never mentioned. It's never pointed to. No one even winks at it or looks at each other with a question mark. It just is. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you read that in the script... It's great, and it's never executed that well. Somewhere along the line, somebody says they really need somebody needs to roll their eyes at least. Right, and then that becomes a gesture, and then that becomes you're right. What you mean? Well, you've got something on your face. We all do, idiot. You know, it at least becomes that. Yeah. Right. Anyways, 
So well, I would like I, I and, and another version of that is if you you know if you watch Python or or, yeah. or, or, or any of early Zucker Brothers stuff and you see insane shit going on in the background, oh, man. I always imagine that a network would probably be like. We need to get a single of that craziness in the background and let people see what's fucking going on. But you know, like the fact that it's in the background makes it a million times funnier that they don't make yeah. it, they don't focus on it. Yeah, it's that that wonderful um, outer edged comic going on on the page of Mad Magazine. Sergio Aragonés. There you go. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's so you cool. you. Uh, so that was the transition, and then uh, all those movies happened. Well, I haven't. Were you were you in Willow? Yes, sir. You were with Rick Overton. Yes, sir. You played the the. Were they we were pe- the little brownies. You were the little brownies. Shall I recreate the moment? Yes. <laughs> a moment. I think you have to. Is he here? Loud. May we speak with him? You want to make an adjustment? Or <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, this way. No, this way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Please be seated. Far too ridiculous and kind. When my father sat me on his knee, he said, son, someday something will happen that will change the course of your natural life. I, I, lo- I loved that movie. Yeah, it was pretty... Uh, Did you work with the rest of the actors? Or were you in Overton? Like Rick and I were in post-production of the okay. largest green screen facility in the world. Um, yes, before blue screen. <laughs> well, I guess it was blue screen first. I've lost count. You must have, no, you must have started... You, you and Rick must have done stand-up together in San Francisco. I'm unbelievably grateful, and I had Rick on the show too, and thanked him in front of cameras, uh, which I hadn't done before, and it felt pretty good. But uh, he had worked with Ron Howard before in Gung Ho and a couple of other movies, I think, and and so Ron cast him as one of the brownies, and then said, "I really need you to pair with someone you can improvise with. Can you pick like four guys? We'll bring them in, have them do the scene a couple of times, improvise with them, and then so he Rick put me on that list of four guys because we had done stand up uh, together at various shows. So I I thank him. Literally, that led to, you know, other opportunities in a huge way, and, and um, yeah. So we, the two of us, jumped around on the on. The, it was like Land of the Giants stuff. They had these big ship built. Cause right. We, we were in somebody's satchel, or we were hiding behind a rock. A giant Val Kilmer. <laughs> yeah. So they shot the film in Wales and New Zealand, and we were uh, in the South Stage in San <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then, and then, uh, because we were also in post production, Ron Howard would yell at us. Uh, in, when he was directing, mm-hmm. there's a big, there's a horse. That's a horse's tail right there. He's swinging by. Look, okay, you guys duck. And uh, that's. I thought, well, this is a strange way of acting. Yes, <laughs> um, this is gonna cut together, okay, right? Yeah, right, Ron Howard, because we're talking and you're yelling over at the same time. Uh, and then uh, one day, Ron had. We've shot that for five weeks. All our stuff in five weeks because it was just us. And one day, uh, Ron had a family thing, and so George Lucas, who produced the film, and of course owned the. Blue Screen Facility we were shooting out up at Lucas Ranch of course uh, he stopped in to direct Ooh. and instead of yelling he was okay um, well I guess cut now see that feels like you're, that feels like a girl's dating a dude and he's like hey why don't you blow one of my friends like <laughs> that's weird to have another director come in and you're like oh, oh okay well, I mean, he's a famous guy sure I don't know if people really understand I mean I know in the comedy community people know Rick Overton and, you know, like, he may not be a household name as far as comics go, but I don't know if people realize how influential that guy was on so many other comics oh, yeah. who came after him. Yes. You know, because Rick, Rick probably started mid-70s, maybe 75, 76? Yeah, in New York, we, uh, it was a 
77-ish. I would say uh, I would say that uh, there are some very famous comedians who uh, owe a lot to Rick's material. <laughs> Robin Williams. <clears throat> yeah. But uh, but you know that whole San Francisco crew of of Jeremy Kramer and um, and uh, and and Dana uh, Carvey and yeah. and like uh, Bobby Slayton. Yeah. I mean, what a fucking great time! So, what what is San Francisco comedy like? And you know, like eighty one, late seventies. Oh, I started there in the late seventies, and because I'm a hundred and two, <laughs> uh, it was it was um, Robin. When I got, I, I was born in San Francisco, and then very young, the family moved down to the Promise of the Suburbs, an hour south to San Jose, mm-hmm. the very famous now. Uh, and then I moved back to San Francisco when I was twenty to pursue stand up comedy full time. So I'd been doing stand-up in San Jose, where there were no comedy clubs. I would go on during the the band break. Uh, oh my God, you guys! We're in a bizarre paranormal situation. Whoa! That seems to be coming from the three ten area code. <laughs> oh, he is a master on that theremin. He really. You're either friends with Death or Brian Wilson. <laughs> well, it could be both. One of the yes. same. One Brian of the Wilson same. might be the angel of death. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it was uh, comedy in San Jose. It was opening up, uh, going on during the band's break at a rock and roll bar. Well, if anyone, if people know anything, it's that people who go to see musicians love to watch comedy in a bar. They yeah. love it more yeah. than anything. Yeah, when, when the band finally takes a break. Yeah. After they've been rocking the house. They love a comic to take it down nine Would notches. someone please just start talking? <laughs> someone someone point out the crazy foibles of humanity while I'm <laughs> while drunk I'm trying, and watching a band. Or while I'm trying to pick up on girls because I can, the girl, they can finally hear me talk, the band's been playing. Right. That's really what was going on. Okay. It was the, the girl's opportunity to get a free drink and the guy's opportunities to make a move. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, hey, quiet over there. <laughs> but I, I gotta say that must have been an insane training ground. It was. It was. It was. Uh, he, well, the other version you hear from guys uh, who started out way, I guess, around the same time, a little before me, actually in strip clubs. They would go on. Uh, they would MC in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You know, in the in the sixties and the seventies, that was going on. So, anyways, so I when I moved to San Francisco when I was twenty, it was. A comedy club? Wait a minute, where people... That's just what's going on? Nothing else? <laughs> I've heard tell. <laughs> Someone uh, decided to corral it into its own thing? And other comedians who know each other and hang out? It's too good to be true. Yeah, so it was one of those deals. Like I was in a farm league and I came to the... Got brought up to the majors kind of thing. And uh, Robin Williams had been from San Francisco and had just left to do uh, Mark and Mindy. And mm-hmm. so he was an overnight sensation on a giant scale. And so Dana Carvey was uh, it when I got to San Francisco around 78. And um, so we became friends. And then Slayton. uh, And then the graduating class behind us, really, with Robbie Schneider and Jake Johansson and Paula Poundstone Mm -hmm. and Alan DeGeneres and huge uh, hitters. Uh, So, you know, and they were right on our heels. Uh, So there was a good uh, seven, eight years where it was the very definition of hotbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there was uh, that incredible community that you hear tell of, you know, and to be in the middle of that, um, even though I, at that point I was just doing impersonations, I had no voice of my own per se, mm-hmm. although I, from the beginning, refused to be like my predecessors who said, what if uh, <laughs> Marlon Brando were a busboy, it might go something like this. 
<laughs> I always had to give them some kind of story, you yeah. know? Um, <clears throat> like one of my early uh, stand-up specials on, on the cable there was, uh, the big scene was, uh, of course I did Shatner, and so um, all the... Uh, Before it was a cool thing to do, I might add. What, Shatner? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the other bizarre thing about doing impersonations, is when people say, well, you know, everyone's doing you doing so-and-so. <laughs> Everyone is. Right. And, you, and, you know, you first of all, I'm stealing the magic feelings people have towards Shatner. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear. <laughs> you know? And you, there's no owning anything right. uh, in terms of that that uh, bag of tricks of the doing impersonations. So anyway, so I, Shatner, would, I would start off, uh, Captain Long, start eight, five, six, seven, eight point two. The, since passing through a Karen cosmic cloud, my crew is acting differently. The personalities, that personalities have changed. I've got to get a bundle. <laughs> and then I would call on Spock and he would be Reverend Jim from Taxi. Right. And then I would go down to the engine room and Scotty is a drunk Arthur Dudley Moore. You know right. what I mean? So it was always a scene. So you're making a scene. I had to have something and instead of just turning around and, oh, it's the same guy. Well, yeah, that's an old, like, I remember one of, uh, I think it was Dennis Miller's black and white comedy special from the early 90s where he was like, <clears throat> yeah. You know, like comedy, like painting famous. Like, can you imagine Jack Nicholson as a produce clerk in a grocery store? Nah, fuck you. You, I see, as a produce clerk in a grocery store. <laughs> yeah. Let's not take America's highest paid actor and have him spritz in turnips for three thirty-five an hour. <laughs> Here's Quinn. Here's five references I don't understand. Yeah, Dana once reduced uh, Dennis's act to uh, topic in deference. Reference. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it was topic, reference, and deference. One of my Kerba Kabuka. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think, How about I think, the pulp? <laughs> What's with that hat? <laughs> I think, uh, was it, uh, Dom Herrera told me once that he, like, he was like, yeah, I sli-, you know, like, I would see him at the improv sometimes and I would slip in some fake words and just see what he would do and he would agree <laughs> with me. Like, you never know. It, that is, it was uh, pretty, uh... Canacious. Yeah, pretty canacious. Yeah, I was uh, pretty canacious there, Dammy. <laughs> uh, oh, I love him. San Francisco, by the way, is still a phenomenal... Yes. Well, you know, since the, the more generations keep coming out, the, your um, Pat Oswalds and, and, and Paula Tompkins, people spent time there. They spent time there, and your Brian Posehn's, and yeah. your, your, your Doug Benson's, and Sarah's, and and, uh, and, and Tom Kenny. Like, it, like it, it really was... It's it was a it's a good I think San Francisco's a I mean you don't want to stay there forever. Well, that's the thing, you know. Being, you can get comfortable being raised in Northern California. You're, I, God, that's one of my first bits a hundred years ago. You were, we were trained to hate Los Angeles mm-hmm. because of the sellout factor. Okay, that was the only reason to go there uh, was money, the pursuit of money. Mm-hmm. If you're an artist, you stay in San Francisco, and uh, it, when you're very young, it's like when you're five at school. All right, kids, there's reading, arithmetic, history, L.A. sucks. One more time. <laughs> I think Paula Tompkins pointed out, like, 
Why are like with this one-sided war? Oh, no, no. By the way, I thought it, when I got here, you guys hated us too. Weird. Could turns be. out everything north of Santa Barbara, you think the world drops off. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's not. I mean, listen. It's only because we're focused too much on ourselves here yeah. to have a battle with any other city. Yeah, there's no acknowledgement. Yeah. At all. Right. It's like, oh, you. <laughs> uh, and yet, um, so yeah, it was. It was. The, the idea was to rise to the top as quickly as possible and get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And, and I I um, got there in, in 78, and by 83, I'd moved here mm-hmm. uh, to Los Angeles. And uh, and then, you know, it was just hundreds of auditions where the, it wasn't just a matter of no. It was, how about anyone but you was going to get this? <laughs> and uh, and that's how you learn, L- literally, uh, for me anyways. And, and, and people, you know, comedians were... Hey, you gotta get into this acting class. I'm like, wait, really? I hate school. Let's start there. Did I mention I hate school? And <laughs> so, then who's teaching me acting? A guy who's a guest star on right. Bewitched? What am I? What? What? I would have I would have taken that class, a guy who's guest star. Was it Paul Lind? <laughs> if it was Paul Lind, I'm in. Yeah, that would be recurring. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah, not a not a guest star. <laughs> Did he get top of show? Um, no. Well, no, these phrases. Shit. Um, so uh, yeah. I wanna know. That's how, I, that's how I just let it go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what were we talking about? Your trailing off has hypnotized me. Um, I did your show, the Kevin Pollock Chat Show. Sir. Um, I guess, what was it last year now? God dang. It's been a while. Anyway. Earlier part of this year. It was so much fun. And and, and I love that you, like, what, what made you decide to, I, I mean, I just feel like you still sort of legitimize the idea of, Podcasting and video podcast, like you know, you're, 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 you're a famous guy, and you, you decided to the embrace the, the internet. The higher the profile in traditional media, I, I suppose, the bigger impact you have on new media. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, <clears throat> what I, I don't know if you've listened to Radio Classics on your uh, on your XM or Sirius, whatever it is. I've not. There's so many stations I haven't gone near. The Radio Classics, you know, it's Jack Benny show. It's all these great radio shows. Um, Orson Welles, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, anyways, I imagine those guys who came from radio being nudged about uh, television. Mm-hmm. And uh, who's gonna watch it? Yeah, I mean, it really is. It seemed like that to me in terms of the internet um, about two years ago, uh, because up until then. Jimmy Pardo had been doing his, and there were there were certainly a few others from my world, from the stand-up world, mm-hmm. um, who had embraced it. But I hadn't seen that many from who had a real profile per se in traditional media. At least Kudrow, I think, was doing um, the web therapy. Um, I think she always made great choices outside of friends. Of I, wish, I wish the rest of America agreed. Because all of her stuff that she's done has been great. No you know, one she was. It. She. I feel like she was the only one on that show that didn't. That didn't let their agent talk them into. You're gonna be the face of this movie, and yeah. you're gonna like no matter what the movie is. Like yeah. she took really cool roles in like the opposite of sex. Like like yeah. she took roles in really cool things, and I love the comeback. Yeah, I thought the comeback was fucking awesome. Sarah uh, Silverman last night when we were performing at some benefit, and she said that uh, the comeback is indeed coming back. Someone has picked it up. Uh, on one of your uh, smaller uh, cable outlets. Excellent news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So back to back to your show. Um, uh, so yeah, it, it was an idea of um, I went to visit uh, internet mini mogul jerk Jason Calcanis at the home of Mahalo.com, 
And I walked into the studio, this little tiny studio uh, at the edge of his big offices. I said, what the hell is this? He said, well, one of my uh, worker drones does This Week in YouTube in here. So we put up some lights and built them a little thing. And I, before I could stop the words from coming out of my face, I was saying, I think I want to do a Charlie Rose with a sense of humor from here. I mean, I, I hadn't thought of that, those words in that order once in my life. Mm-hmm. Not once. I don't know where this thought came from. And he said, unfortunately for me, how soon can you stop? <laughs> and my sphincter tightened. I went, whoa, whoa, whoa I, I didn't, what, oh, um, well, uh, let me call, let's see if I can get some guests. And within a couple of months, uh, I, I, I put together, I mean, the infrastructure was kind of there already, mm-hmm. you know. There was a TriCaster, you know, there were monitors. It is a very professional setup. Like, when I went to do Kevin's show, it's, there was a makeup person. So it's the opposite of this? It is the opposite. Uh, like, okay. the diametrical opposite <laughs> to the Nerdist Podcast. Um, there, you know, there's a crew. You, got you don't it. win the Streamy Award for Best Live Show. <laughs> oh, <laughs> My sphincter tightens up. Oh, uh, mainly because yeah. I almost got raped in the at the streamies, but <laughs> jumped on stage. I and think you're past almost. I thought he was jamming his finger into my pants, and then when I watched the video, I was like, his pants are down. That was a boner. Okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> got some stuff to work out, but I'm fine with it. But I, I but I, but I saw you backstage, like right before you went out for the streamies, and I think we high five yeah. like streamies. <laughs> we have made it, my friend. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, so, you know, it's still stripped down and, and, um, it, 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 it's been way more enjoyable than I ever thought it would be. Mm -hmm. And, and creatively the internet is, is Nirvana because we talked about how the studios and the network are able to add water. And I think they add water to, to greatness at a, at a genius level. I think they have a savant ability to find the epicenter of the thing. That makes the piece great, and that's where they add the water. They don't just sprinkle all the way around trying to dilute the whole thing. Well, sure, because when things are different and unique and original, they don't, they can't compare it to anything yeah. because they think in terms of charts and demographics, and, sure. and you can't. It is, it is impossible to quantify the idea from a marketing standpoint of uh, let's just let funny people be funny. Like they, they can't. It has to. There has to be a reason. It has to be because that guy has a beard. It's yeah. a beard. Yeah, and boy, you know, it's exploding on cable now, MC, AMC being born of uh, Mad Men, Breaking Bad, and now walk, Walking Dead, walk yeah. Dead. And, you, you know, you see shows branding a network like that. So that's happening. And at the same time, um, there is even more freedom, actually, on the Internet to do, as I just pointed out, walking into a little studio and saying, eh, let's do a fucking show, see what happens. And here we are, a year and a half later, and... Um, P.S. with Google TV, you have a television talk show. Well, we were instantly on, on TiVo, and then people who had Roku's and, and a couple of other boxes could, in fact, pull us up. And along with Google TV, you know, there's a new Samsung flat screen that has internet built into the remote. Mm-hmm. And that's the game changer, when it's in the remote. Now you're on the same menu as every cable and network. And uh, so when I started oh, a year and a half ago, those conversations were taking place. You know, we're a year away from dot, dot, dot. And it only took a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And, and the Internet's in the remote. So I, uh, I felt like not since my stand-up days, 
of those heady days, the late 70s, early 80s in San Francisco, did I feel like I was a part of something incredible, like I do working online in the last year and a half, two years? Honestly. It is, it's, it's an amazing time. Like, like the, yeah. just all the comics that you've seen who've discovered, oh, I can be myself and do my own thing that no one can get their fingers on and, and get my voice out there and connect with people in a way that on a, on a, on a very substantial level. I mean, like when you look at the numbers of people yeah. who are downloading podcasts, like it, they are, they are incredibly respectable numbers. No, we're, we're, um, upwards of 700,000 a month and I, I, everything's relative, you know, these, there are others with considerably more, but what boggles my mind, uh, is just that we just threw it out there. Mm -hmm. And in fact, coming from traditional media, when we started, I said to the internet mini mobile jerk, Jason Calcata's partner, I got to hire a publicist. This is what happens when you launch something. I have to hire a publicist. He probably told you not to do that. He said, you can't do that. He said, they, YouTube kicked Oprah off in 36 hours. <laughs> you don't tell them you're there. You just show up. He's a smart guy. It's the ultimate, if you build it, they will come. Well, not only that, but it's also, it's. I think it's also fun for people to be like... Discovery. It, it gives yeah. them the ability, because people like sharing things, it gives them the ability to tell other people, have you seen this thing? Yeah. You know? I've been a part of that in, in as an actor in films. Uh, it's hard to fathom, but The Usual Suspects opened on 300 screens. Never, I have heard of that movie. Never went wider than 800 screens and made a scant 22 million total mm -hmm. at the domestic box office. It's, it's hard to fathom those low numbers in terms of the worldwide success of that little movie that was shot for $5 million. Mm -hmm. um, so that was all about discovery. To this day, it's about discovery. I have 20-year-olds coming to my shows because if you're a sophomore in college to this day and you can't speak suspects, you're a fucking loser. <laughs> it regenerates almost every year a new uh, demographic. So there you go. Discovery. It, turning somebody on to it. You know, you haven't seen this? I mean, how many people take possession of a show like Breaking Bad? Right. It's hilarious the way they turn yeah. you on to it. You're not watching Breaking Bad? Oh, man. You're a fucking dick. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're, you're worse than Mussolini. What? I just haven't seen the show. <laughs> I haven't killed. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what do you, you know, what do you see as the, as the future of, because, you know, like I don't, I think it's great that we're all sort of, and, and you know, an argument could be made. We're not really the first wave of podcast. I mean, like the first wave of podcasting really happened like, you know, five, 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 five six, six years, years ago. Yeah. But, um, but I still feel like we're kind of on the ground floor and, you know, is it, it are we, are we going to be the ones that figure out how to take it to the next level? Or is it going to be the second wave that looks at, you know, like... Well, it is. Figuring, are we building the platform? It you know? is figuring itself out. Yeah. You know, you, it was, again, you talk about discovery and not being able to force the issue. Um, the audience builds to a number that has to be acknowledged by more powerful entities. That's, at, some, at some point, that's yeah. That's basically what happens. That's why web therapy is going to showtime. That's why uh, Children's Hospital went to Adult Swim. Mm -hmm. That's why um, Doug Benson's Interruption, which played as a podcast for a while, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, actually, I, no, he well, never... the movies at the Yeah, movie. he did I Love Movies. He, yeah. never, we, he, never, he never podcasted Interruption. Um, so, two out of three examples. Um, <laughs> but... Ricky Gervais' podcast is cut up and now on HBO as a cartoon. They yep. Uh, but I, you know, you and I had this conversation off the air. I, I, and I've been talking about it on my show a little bit. I, I did sit down at the, at the 
at the potential uh, possibility of this backfiring. I did sit down with the Young Turks at iTunes podcast mm-hmm. and say, you know, you have to allow us to charge 99 cents a show. And they said, well, you know, I said, first of all, let me start the conversation by saying, I can't believe Steve Jobs is missing an opportunity to make money. That, that blows everyone's mind. Right. Uh, free is great. Free is fantastic. You've built up thousands of podcasts now by offering them free. Mm-hmm. Um, but as much as people like the idea of free, they also want their entertainment to have value. Mm-hmm. They don't want it to literally be value less. They, there's a certain, I learned this from stand-up comedy, there's a certain subconscious relationship between the audience. And, you know, we used to do a free park, st- uh, they still do it to this day, a free show in Golden Gate Park called a Comedy Celebration Day. Yeah, that just happened. Yeah. yeah. 40,000 people show up to a free show, and, and you see all these great comics doing five, six minutes each, and Robin Williams usually closes the show every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great, and it's, like I said, twenty to 40,000 people, depending on the year, would show for this free show. But then the comedy clubs, where they paid money to go see acts, didn't dry up. They thrive on a nightly basis. And the audience, at some point, as I explained to the podcast guys, I said, let me liken it literally to stand-up comedy. When you first start, you get on stage, and if you're any good, you can earn an audience. If you can sustain quality on stage as a performer... People will start talking about you and, and coming out to see you on a different night. Mm-hmm. You will earn an audience. And if you can earn an audience and sustain that, you can earn a living. Right. Th- those are the rules. And so I said to them, you're now not allowing us to make a living. And we've earned an audience. And um, uh, so we are at the precedent uh, setting moment in, in history in terms of iTunes podcasts. Our show, I will break this officially, I suppose. Um, I don't know when this is going to air. So this the switch may have been thrown just prior to this airing. But we're, uh, so I'm told, a week away from flipping the switch and offering two three-minute previews of every show for free, offering a half dozen ep- full episodes for free. And then it's 99 cents. And by the way... For two hours, in many cases? Right. 99 cents? Yeah. That, to me, is the magic number. It's interesting, because a lot of the different, um, a lot of the different pod, a lot of the different comics doing podcasts, or I guess just podcasts in general, there's so many different models that people are experimenting with. Like, Pardo has a subscription-based yeah. model, and Marin has, I think, a donation-based model. And, you know, so it'll be interesting if people it can, can start charging. I, you know, I... I may be back on your show in six weeks saying, can you believe that I was charging? What a, what a, what a disaster. Yeah. And then we're in a different house <laughs> that actually has a real skeleton. We're, we're, we're in the guest house. Please <laughs> take around it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, for me, I, I probably, for this show, I, I don't see myself charging necessarily for it. If we, if we, if we expand it to a video format, right. we would have to because... It, it's just like it just costs money. I mean, yeah. I, I said to people before, like, I'm not, I'm not ever trying to bilk. I, like, I don't look at my at the audience and go like, yeah, I just see a lot of dollar signs. But at a certain point, I think people understand it costs money to give away stuff. Yeah, I have you know? a crew. It costs I, money to make. You have a whole crew and you have I, video and editing. And I have a crew that, uh, well, no editing because, we, we, which is kind of great. But I have a crew that I've been paying out of pocket now for almost two years. Mm-hmm. Gladly, mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't have to pay them. They all um, 
work on other. Yeah, you don't have to pay him. Look at this guy, Matt Myra. Hey, what's up? Never earned a dime. Yeah, you don't. You know that's why that second is, deductible really hurts Progressive. Yeah, and I, by the way, it's all it's on all of their resumes. <laughs> it's on all of their resumes, and they work on other internet shows uh, for free. And I made it clear to them that I would pay them mm-hmm. uh, on a weekly basis. And if the show were to earn money on a larger scale, they're cut in to that back end. And in fact, this Apple iTunes experiment that's going down momentarily, they're, they're going to own a piece of that. I can't wait to sit on the sidelines and watch how that works for you. <laughs> but uh, Which part? Paying my crew? No, 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 no. That, part, that part's great. Um, I think... Uh, I, st- I still don't feel as bad as I should feel for not paying you and Jonah. But, um, but, I, but I would love to see... You know, I would love to see just the paradigm shift and see, you know, see if well, it's something... Well, I said to the podcast, guys, I'm, I'm not... This, my first effort, at, uh, and the little audio thing I record at the end of the two, three-minute preview, mm-hmm. I had to record something saying, you know, uh, that preview was pretty great, wasn't it? <laughs> if you want to see the entire two hours, uh, all you have to do is, on the home page there, it says links, and underneath it, it says full episode. Just click on that, and you're on your way. And, uh, and the reason that I'm asking you to do this is that, you know, I, I need my crew to, to act like it matters. Mm-hmm. And you can feed a starving podcast crew by, by you know, coughing up 99 cents. It's like, reminds me, I love that, I love that part, I love that scene at the end of High Fidelity where Cusack's character, like, tells those young kids, like, all right, we're going to, you know, you're going to, I want to be a label for you. They're like, man, you're just gonna get yourself a big fat Mercedes, and he's like, we're not there yet, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I think the audience, I think you know, hopefully in your Separate. case, hopefully in your case, the audience understands. Like, hey, I'm not trying to fuck you guys out of money. I'm just trying to deliver a consistent quality product. Not only that, I want to expand it. You know, Cal Canis and I built now this internet network, thisweekend.com, and we have like 16 shows. We held open casting and said, do you want to host your own show? And somebody came in with the idea This Week in Movies and This Week in Music and This Week in, you know, uh, video games and and expanded into This Week in Mad Men, which Jamie, Mrs. Macabre, 2010, Hosts along with a few other people, and then when that series went on hiatus, they started doing this week in Walking Dead. And do they air not the stuff of the old court? I like that those audiences cross over. No, no, no. <laughs> Mad Men and Walking no, Dead. It's, it's, it's rarely the same audience, but but uh, I would love to see Mad Men, and they're literally mad with zombieism. Sure. Yeah, right. That's how that would work. <laughs> it's the madness. Let's let's how walk. Sell Q-tips. Let's walk through it. Yeah, uh, but but Joni, I love to eat your pussy, literally. <laughs> so uh, I, when I the last thing I said to the podcast guys, hate myself. Were, no, no, don't, don't. You got to bring the funny because I've been just been yammering. I all I did was say the word pussy. No, no it's really it's always funny. No, 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 yeah. not always. And that get creative. And your 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 bottle of 1960 scotch, who's dressed like a fox, is staring at me. His arms are behind the his fox back, and is he just looks disappointing. Like right Oh no, Chris Hardwick. I'm a fox with a waistcoat and a top hat. I'm I did better, so can you. That's what I feel like he's saying to me. Yeah. No wonder you're not charging. Um, <laughs> so but I did say to the to the, the Apple guys, I said, you know, there's guys in line behind me, by the way. This isn't just me looking out for me. I'm yes. I'm actually trying to form a union and you just don't know it. Mm-hmm. Um uh you know, 
I, I don't want people to leave the framework of iTunes, and you shouldn't either. I sh you know, the subscription model and all these other models, I can do that. But uh, I think I'd rather just stay here at the iTunes. Yeah, I would think they would want people to not go off-site. Yeah. You know, if they had the ability to uh, to profit from yeah. that. But I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it's we it's, will see. And I look forward to coming back and talking about. I it can't again. wait for this. Time. I would love to. I I would love. To, I, you should come back on in, in you know like four or five months. You know, like after you after, after it's kind of you you'll get a good picture at that point. Oh, absolutely. Of, of, I I expect. Uh, you know, you have various numbers in mind in terms of what you're going to hold on to and to me I don't want to alienate because people email all the time yeah. and tweet all the time oh I just discovered your show through a thing and I really fucking dig it yeah, I see just that. watched the whole episode of Paul Tonkin's holy fuck mm -hmm. um, and that's a that has been its own reward and will continue to be its own reward uh, and the idea of alienating anyone is what you want to avoid, mm -hmm. which is why you're having trepidation yourself and may, and may most likely continue to. Yeah, because my main goal is just to get to as many people as possible so that people will come out and see live shows. Right. And what we talked about before is if we ever if we ever charge for anything on the show, it would it would have to be like we're do it have to be an extra thing like we're doing a video podcast or right. you know like maybe at some point the live shows that we do sometimes at Largo become a bonus episode each month. Right. And we charge for that just so that I can yeah. pay people who come on as if it were an actual talk show. Well, that is the other thing, you know, to, by the way, is, as I said, not just I want to take care of my crew, but to build out a more substantial type of show mm -hmm. that you would get from cable or television. And at 99 cents, by the way, again, you, you know, the raping and the bilking of your audience at 99 cents is right. hysterical to me. Well, it'll become interesting if... You get a song for three minutes. For nine, yeah. A dollar twenty-nine, price usually. <laughs> two hours. So... It'll be... But what will be interesting is to see where people start to fall when... You know, when a bunch of podcasts that they like start charging, and then it's like, oh, you know, then then five dollars a month becomes like thirty dollars. Well, a month. you, I brought this up because you asked, where are we going? Where yeah. is it leading? Yeah. Are we the generation that dot yeah. dot, or is that the one behind us? So I'm making the first step into the shit. And I, I want to tell you that I appreciate that. Well, we'll see. We'll see. The audience, it may be just a resounding go fuck yourself. Right. You know, or we may be sitting here six months from now. And you're on my independent music label at Apple because that's the only way to get in. Now. And this table will be made of gold. Right. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I don't. I envision building out the thisweekend.com network and, and having a bigger studio. And His talk it. show desk will be made of gold. That would be nice. Yeah, I'll know that for sure. Yeah, of course. I want mine to be made of Black American Express card. <laughs> exactly. That I bought with a Black American Express card. <laughs> Uh, well, Kevin Pollack, um, we've come to the end of our hour, but uh, but I love. I mean, no, I listen. Get the I fuck out of my house. I think it. I, I think it's fantastic that. I think it's just fantastic that you know, as a legitimate performer, you're kind of taking a step back and figure and 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 really taking this medium seriously. And I mean, I think it is a wildly valuable medium that most of the entertainment business sort of overlooks. You're like podcasting, have fun in your mom's basement. It's yeah. like no, no, this. This is the, these are getting substantial numbers and, and they're reaching a substantial number of people like more in a I mean like pr probably like the early days of radio you know right. but now people have a choice to connect with the content that they want and I, I 
I'm, I'm fascinated by your process with all of this, and I, I really, I hope it works out. I really do, and I, I want to I talk to you again about it in a few months. Uh, I look forward to it, and um, I, uh, I hope you can come back and be on, on the Kevin Pollock Chat Show. I'll come on whenever. I, would, I will happily come back on Because you, uh, we, you know, I, I, I do take great joy in having not just comedians on, but comedians that represent a different generation than my own. Because I've had people like Kevin Neal and all, mm-hmm. people of my own generation, and that's its own joy for me. Um, but I, uh, I'm, I will return the compliment saying I, I'm a huge fan. Oh, that's so sweet. Well, I, I will come back on any time you have time. I love, I, love, I love me some Sam Levine, too. Right? Sam Levine is the best. Sweet Sammy. So we gotta get Sam on the podcast yeah. too at some point. Well, he was he read our ad for all. Yeah, that. but he needs his own episode. He deserves his own episode. That's long overdue. We'll we'll rectify that, Sammy. Uh, Kevin Pollock, thank you so much. Matt Myra, um, thank you for being here. Maybe when, uh, next Jonah time Ray, I'll have a car. Jonah Ray had to work. I hope you have a car. I hope Progressive Insurance doesn't continue to tear extra assholes Listen, into your body and fuck them. I like your rates, but uh, I hate your policies. <laughs> uh, that is a, kind of a negative way to end the podcast. Uh, How about if, you, if it Listen, were 99 cents a show, you could get yourself a couple. That would be amazing. Um, no, what are you saying? <laughs> no, no, that wouldn't help him at all. No, uh, are you saying? He would, he wouldn't I get think any Kevin might be on to something here, Chris. He uh, would know he wouldn't uh, get any We may have a position for you at thisweekend.com. I, I think that is... It is important to keep them down under <laughs> Your foot on their neck. Uh, I have headphones on, Chris. It's oh, I heard. Did you hear? I heard all of that. <laughs> That's the only way you could hear you. Enjoy your burrito, America. Enjoy your burrito. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 65th National Finals of Distinguished Young Women. Every year, one girl from every state leaves her family, her whole life behind, for two weeks and spends each day training, practicing, preparing. Because to win this competition, she needs to wow a panel of judges with her academic record, her athletic ability, her speaking skills, and a show-stopping talent. I met her and I was like, she's going to win. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. When I sing that song about being a black woman in America, there's going to be backlash about that. Oh, I'm just so happy. So happy. I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. And then we stayed with them for the next year, unpacking just what happened those two weeks in Mobile. I'm Shimoliai, and from Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.